0: Welcome to episode 10 of the Give Us Time podcast, the podcast that highlights the extraordinary members of our armed forces and their families. Today's guest is a truly remarkable man. He spent 25 years in the in the British military. He started his career as a tankie before going on to wear the Green Beret of the Royal Marines. And finally, he went on to join the world-famous SAS, where he spent 16 years of his career. We are pleased to welcome Ken Haymes to the podcast. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. And joining alongside me is Give Us Time ambassador Scotty Derrick. Hello. All right. So Ken, the first question we w- want to know is: is why did you want to go and join the army? Uh, well, I, I grew up on a
1: on, on a on a sheep farm in in the kind of highlands of Derbyshire, um, and uh, th- there's a lot of history how we, how we got there, the family. But uh, I guess I was always in the outdoors you know bringing sheep down off the fell and getting cold and wet and miserable you know my prized possession were my wellingtons and my duffel coat um i um yeah it's a pretty poor we were pretty poor really we didn't really have an awful lot of cranky old car television that didn't work you know christmas tree lights that blew up every christmas all that kind of stuff and um so but i'd read books about the army and my dad was in the army um and I just looked at it and thought oh, this looks great look at all the kit they've got you know and and you can ride a horse and um i was a very simple individual you know my life revolved around agriculture okay so uh you know this was all a magical world you know beyond the end of the lane which i'd never been uh, give me an idea I never went on a summer holiday as a kid ever the first time i saw the sea i stood there for 10 minutes i couldn't believe it you know oh, <laughs> you know, so so I, I was that I was that kind of if you know, institutionalized in agriculture. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so what kind of um role do you did your parents have then in your decision to join the uh the military? You went and said that your dad was a part of it.
1: Yeah, my my dad was a, a curious character. He he was highly educated, um but he was full of bullet holes. He, you know, he. he he'd taken a few for the queen and uh it had affected his mental health there's no doubt and you know he's he wouldn't think anything of drinking a bottle of a whiskey in a day um and um so it was a bit bit checkered in in some in some respects because the farming element was my grandfather's element of it and my my uncle's not 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 his um but you know i had his old chindit he was a chindit second world war you know i had his old chindit hat and that kind of stuff. But he was he was a damaged individual. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, he he would seen some bad things and pulled out all his teeth in the jungle. Uh people forget that our our mums and dads going going and our, our mums and dads, grandfathers, they put up with a pile of um SH one T in their lives. Um, you know, probably looking down from above thinking, yeah, you've got a little problem here to sort out. Um, but yeah, no, he 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 didn't push me though. He didn't push me. He wanted me to, but he d- he didn't push me into the military.
0: Oh wow, um, I didn't. Yeah, I think Scotty, you can for want to add to that a little bit there.
1: Absolutely. Uh, we were just chatting
2: a couple of weeks ago. My uncle, uh, he was in the Korea as well, and we kind of forget about these other far field conflicts that a lot of men and women are involved with. And it was very interesting there, Ken, to hear. You say about your dad uh, drinking a bottle of whiskey wouldn't faze him in a day um, because of issues. That's something that happened to me. Um, I didn't know who to speak to, who to ask for help. So that's where I turned. I turned to the bottle quite a lot, and then I turned to cocaine, heroin, and other things to try and make images disappear. But thankfully, touch wood, we're on the right path now. And we're we're moving forward, which is great. But it just we, we kind of were too quick to forget about the real sacrifices that the men and women who have done for us to enable us to sit in this house, like Mm. yourself, Ken, doing the operations you have that people have no idea about,
1: and gives us that security that we're in today. Yeah, I think our dads, granddads, I mean, they were fighting a brutal, brutal regimes. I mean, like, you just can't imagine, you know, like my dad was in you know fighting the japanese and another brutal br- br- absolutely brutal i would think anything chopping your arm off or chopping your head off or not feeding you for, for months so yeah dad was full of holes full of holes now it's only later on in life you start to understand when you've been through it yourself and, and you've and you've faced some of your demons it's only now you understand what and, and they weren't they weren't encouraged to talk about it
2: oh yeah they were
1: just told, told to shut up
2: you know trained upon like,
1: yeah, my, my dad, who grew up in a Scottish Presbyterian family, he was just stuffed in a cupboard, basically, and told, right, you'll be seen and not heard. And that's the way they live their life. Yeah, exactly. The same when I, I got brought up, my father
2: uh, and my grandfather and father were both miners. Um, so in the war effort, my grandfather was providing all the coal to make stuff in industry. And my father was down the pits as well. And I remember uh, I, w- I was exact same. I had a bit of a, a, a boisterous childhood but I was locked in exact something similar, but even though back in the seventies or eighties I was locked in a room and locked mm. in and speak when spoken to um and I remember if I did something wrong, I got a, a good hiding, and if yeah. I did something right, I just got a lesser hiding so it wasn't <laughs> or or thrown out to the hills to go and walk for a few days um so yeah, all all good now, but yeah, absolutely. What men and women have gone through and as you said those poor kids in those uh, years have gone past Shock him. shock him. and and sometimes we are as a society we probably are too quick to forget about that
0: yeah definitely so I, I mean ken so from growing up in that sort of you know um you must have seen what was going on with your dad there and did so that just didn't phase you at all and you were still very committed to joining the army um uh, yeah i didn't understand really and honestly i didn't understand
1: his mentality i just saw him as a man who was uh you know angry and 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 you know angry with the world and um but you know there were there were good times i don't want to paint too dark a picture we grew up in an idyllic place with you know beautiful rivers and fantastic countryside uh and i started surviving when i was a kid because you know i had to I had to forage a lot and I lived in barns and extreme cold and, um, you know, we didn't have central heating or anything anything like like that at all. And my clothes were very fundamental, Um, you know, socks, wellies, (laughs) duffel coat. But uh, so at that time, I think I was hardened to the outdoors already. You know, snow, gales, that didn't faze me at all. That was fun. You know, that's with the <laughs> weather turning its cheek a bit. Um, but, yeah, so I was, I was
0: ready to make the big leap. I mean, I want to know now, what was it like then as a 16-year-old going from this kind of – it sounds very idyllic and very picturesque as well, you know, very um, – so when you went and joined, where was your first barracks then? Where did you go into? I went, I went to the Junior Leaders Regiment Royal
1: Armour Corps down
0: in Bobbington. Um,
1: and it was curious, actually. Imagine this is a wide-eyed kid. Um, and and only five miles down the road there was a nuclear power station called AEE Winfrith, and I yeah. thought well, that's not safe. <laughs> it? That's not safe. Why did somebody put this barracks here? <laughs> so you have all these little impressions when you're a kid, and um, yeah, Scotty will go for this when you. When, you know, when you when you're a young soldier, the exciting things in life are, are a biscuit and a pint of milk at ten o'clock in the morning when the the old naffy van comes around, and um, you know, getting your first pint of beer, having your first girlfriend, all all that kind of stuff is is all all there. And we used to guard when we weren't being trained as as, as tankies. Um, we used to guard the tank museum, and we were told that there was a ghost in there. So every time we went on guard, remember, 16 years old, and there was a ghost of a German, you know, who got found in the in the engine of a, of, a, of a Tiger tank. So when we went in there, you know, we used to kind of stand back to back in case we ran into Herman the German in in in, 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 in the barracks. But I tell you what, it was fantastic because you got three meals a day. I mean, for me, three meals a day, uh, fantastic uniform. Um, yeah, he got to got to get in play in these massive, you know, 50 ton ton tanks, run all over the countryside, go on out with bound courses. Um yeah, it it was like oh, it was brilliant. I loved it. I loved every second of it. Um, oh, but oh, I did amazing. get bullied a bit, though. I did get bullied a bit when I was there because I didn't understand. Some of these guys from Newcastle who didn't speak the same language as me, uh, <laughs> Jordan, <laughs> you know, and, and they and they wouldn't think twice about just giving you a punch on the nose for no reason. So, uh, actually, the, the, the Scottish guys were actually the the, mi- the milder ones. I, I got on really well with the with the Scots guys. They they didn't throw the weight around, but some of these other Englishmen did. You know, I don't know why. You're a not complex isn't it, Scotty?
2: Yeah, that's right. But the jocks, the jocks know they've got that in their pocket, you see. They just need to bring that out when required. <laughs> no, they spoke
1: to... a completely different language.
2: Uh, they should come with subtitles up there.
1: But they came from <laughs> tough backgrounds. Some of them came from really tough backgrounds. And, you know, um, you have to grow up pretty quick. You know, between 16 and 17, you know, you're kind of going from being a boy to a man. Only just. <laughs> Only just. You know, because you're not even at 18 when... I wasn't even 18 when I joined, uh, joined my regiment, the 9th, 12th Lancers in uh, in in Germany, after a year and a half of kind of fairly intensive training. Uh, and um, there was a little spell where I went to the uh, RAC Independent Parachute Squadron, um, which is part of the old 16 Parachute Brigade. Um, and... Like all good things, I, I got there and someone said, "Well, don't unpack your bag because it's being disbanded." Uh, so you know, <laughs> I didn't know what disbanded meant. What, you're just going to pack up and go home? <laughs> so I went back. So I ended up back in back in back in Germany, where the regiment, the Night 12th Lancers, were part of the Fourth Armoured Division. Um, and that, again, another fantastic experience because we were allowed to drive anywhere we liked uh, through people's fields. Just making complete wreckage of the German countryside in this um, uh, kind of premise that we were were keeping the Russians at bay. You know, the old Warsaw Pact before 1990. Um, But yeah, going, going, you know, leaping from, uh, leaping from, from the ninth, leaping from the junior leaders into, into Germany was another culture shock for me. Getting on an aeroplane, flying for the first time, landing. And, um, and and just German girls who took the most incredible interest in you, uh, oh, you know. Yes. <laughs> I think more from a scientific point of view than, than anything else. I,
2: I, I must admit, yeah, G- Germany. I've got very fond memories of Germany. Yeah. Yes, very nice country.
1: Oh crikey, yeah, but good stuff. Oh,
0: brilliant. So you were in Germany then, uh, up until you you were eighteen, then, or how long were you in Germany for then, Ken? um it was about about a year and a half and for some reason
1: i've not you know i have no idea to this day there must have seemed some potential in me somewhere for something because um, I had not a qualification to, to my name really i had a i had i had an o level in woodwork a GCSE in woodwork and nice. um and uh, and one in english that forget that um and a few other bits bits bobs. but that but they said i you know did clearly you know thought well this guy's not a bad leader so they sent me on an outward bound course to Towin in wales um and then you run down to the sea every day and go for a swim at five o'clock which is pretty brutal um yeah that but sounds it, it. <laughs> certainly wakes you up in the morning and then you spent the rest of the day rowing whalers and and beating your chest and running over the mountains and eating an enormous amount of food Anyway, did I did all right on that bound course, and then I got selected um, for the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst. Um, which, uh, but before I went to Sandhurst at about eighteen, um, I had to go to the Army School of Education because I couldn't read or write, <laughs> which has been a disadvantage. And uh, and uh, yeah, my um, some of my scrawly scrawly beetle type type writing, so I had to go and do a bit more education. Uh, but then I ended up um, at, at the Royal Military Academy, and really wide, really really wide-eyed, even more wide-eyed than I was before. because quite a bounce from sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, from being a being a junior to going to a, a regiment in, in Germany and being part of all that, and then and then going to going to Sandhurst, where I met a completely different animal there. <laughs> oh, dear. schools dear, dear, dear. and you know and then i didn't understand what they were saying either <laughs> i got into enormous trouble on day one um at, at sandhurst because we everybody everybody had to go and buy well, when i went to the, the the beaconsfield um place uh the army school of education uh the Sergeant major who was a, who was a, a grenadier guardsman who, who was looking after potential officers in that place uh he said um He said, where'd you get that suit from? I said, hey, this is top draw Sarmage, you know. (laughs) He said, well, it's not exactly Savile Row, is it? I said, no. He said, we'll get rid of it. I said, "Poor crikey. I said, I haven't haven't got much, much, much money. Um, And, you know, he took his wallet out and he gave me 70 quid, which was a lot of money in those days. He gave me 70 pounds. He said, pay me back when you can. He said, but go down to that place and, 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 and go down there, buy yourself X Y and Z sports jacket, pair of cavalry twill trousers, pair of brogues, you know, cat, flat hat, you know, horse. Oh wow! <laughs> <et cetera. Horset. laughs> and uh, it was seventy just, quid.
2: Seventy
1: quid he gave me, and I went away and bought bought, bought those things because he said I you can't you cannot sir he said you cannot go to Sandhurst looking you know like that with a kipper tie you know and big lapels <laughs> glam rock the glam rock boy <laughs> and, um, but on day one in the dining hall at Sandhurst this guy um he he looked over the table at me and he said are you a squaddy which is a very derogatory term that's why I never use it. I never call soldiers squaddies they're soldiers so they're privates or they're troopers or they're engineers or whatever I never I think it's always a derogatory term he said are you a squaddy I said Well yeah. I said, well, so what if I am? You know? He said, Well I hope you're not gonna bring of your naffy habits in here. Oh. Whoa. So I reached over the table and I grabbed him by the hair
0: <laughs> and
1: stu- and stuffed his head in this soup tureen a big big bowl of soup. Poof, straight in. <laughs> of course the soup spilt all over the table, and there all these guys wearing their very expensive suits on day one, trying to look him, you know, all jumped up, you know, soup all over the place, and the next morning, this um, this colour sergeant came up to me, he said, Officer Goodhead Hames, yes, colour, he said, uh, you know how to march, don't you, yes, colour, <laughs> left, right, left, right, left, right, left, all the way down the corridor, left, right, left, right, left, left turn, left turn, left time, mark time, Dun-dun-dun. oh, oh pff- that was in front of the college commander, day one. Oh dear. And he's reading the racing post, right? So he's checking the horses.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: checking the form. He's checking the form for the day. And uh, anyway, he and then the sergeant mate says, uh, Sir, officer Goddard Hames, on report on day one at the Royal Military Academy, having stuffed officer in O'Reilly's head in the soup tureen, sir. <laughs> and he, he, he said, uh, he didn't even look up. He said, he said, Dan, Hames, why did you stuff O'Reilly's head in the soup tureen? He said, Well, he called me a squatty, sir. Mm, did he? And well, what else did he say? He said, Well, I wasn't to bring my naffy habits into the officer's mess. And he went, mm, Take to another horse. He said, mm. Well, clearly you did. <laughs> well done. <laughs> said, well done. <laughs> Hang on. Well done. March out. So I got marched out. And then the, and this colour sort, he took me on the square and beasted me up and down for about half an hour. He said, Look, you've got to understand who you are now. You're a bit different now. You know, you can't. Bring those habits, <laughs> can't hit people, yeah. <laughs> you can't stuff their head in their food. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was day <laughs> one. That was just day one at Sandhurst. Yeah,
2: oh well, obviously, you can see, that, you can see yeah. the checklist for the SAS coming up. <laughs> head and soup, <laughs> loves, loves
0: being cold and wet. That's, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's not, right, not yeah. scared of wearing wellies. No, <laughs> done. <laughs> so, I mean, I want to know. some what was the rest of your sandhurst time then like hamburg i'm mean, i'm i'm assuming did you fall in line or was there um similar incidences coming up no
1: yeah so sandhurst was was such a, a shock to, to my system you know where people had no no idea about my background and i had no idea about theirs and you know coming an officer it's not it's not easy you know you're expected to lead and you know that—that's the whole thing. Sandhurst is about le- le- leadership, um and I think, to be honest, up till up till when I got to Sandhurst, I—I I, I really was. I tried to figure out what officers did all day. They seemed to disappear into this place called the officers' mess and never come out again. And, um, and then in the regiment I was with, they had horses, and and I thought, God, there's all these people wearing joggers and? running around and shouting at me but I've never seen a horse I didn't see one horse I saw tanks but I didn't see a horse so that was all a bit odd um and of course it, in in uh, in the 9th 12th the officers were well there was a baron and there was a lord and there was an honorable um oh. so it was like being in the royal family pretty pretty, pretty hard. <laughs> um anyway um yeah so when you when you kind of become one yourself or being groomed to be one yourself it, it's it's, it's not easy, it might look easy to some people, but it's not, and you're a young lad of what I was when I, when I joined the Queen's Regiment, the 1st Battalion of the Queen's Regiment, back to Germany, um, yeah, it was, um, like, bewildering, really, because I'd only been there about oh, a few months, and then we were, we were back to Northern Ireland again, you know, where we spent a lot of our time, um, uh, and, uh, yeah, young, young, eighteen-year-old, almost, almost. I was almost nineteen then, between eighteen and nineteen, and you know, commanding thirty guys uh, in in an operational setting, which is, is quite bewildering for, for for a young bloke to do that. And you really rely on your platoon sergeant. Then he's the kind of non-commissioned officer, and you totally rely on him to look after you because he knows the ropes, and the corporals know the ropes, and. uh you know the private soldiers will just take the mick out of you, and you won't know it. And lots of things to learn. Um, but I took some of the lessons of leadership definitely into in, in, into 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 that battalion. But it's it's just I suppose it's just being accepted, really. Uh, eventually, you want to be accepted as soon as possible, but you have to kind of earn your earn your spurs, earn your wings. When you're on that journey,
0: it's tricky. So, uh, sorry, how old were you then when you were in charge of these, what did you say, 30, 30 guys? Yeah, I, seemed, I think I was just 19. Wow, that is, that must be an absolute shock there, going from, from three years ago, you'd just joined the military, and now three years later, you're in charge of um, yeah. um, 30 guys. I'm assuming, you know, similar ages as when you joined, about 16, 17, that sort of time. So, I mean... How how as a nineteen-year-old do you do you lead thirty guys? I think with great difficulty.
1: I mean, you 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 try to do your best and you try to look right and you try to. But you have to learn really really quickly. And that's the thing. You have to learn off the, the men and you have to learn off the the NCOs, the lance corporals the corporals, particularly off your platoon sergeant. He's your right-hand man. And, and you just have to keep learning. And, you know, you have to have a really open mind. Arrogance won't work. Um, and, you know, you have to earn the respect of the men. And that is the hardest thing, to earn their respect. So when it comes to, you know, cleaning the toilets, when it comes to washing the vehicles, when it comes to... To give me an example, I used to say to my, my officers when I got a bit more senior, the, the ones under my command, I used to say, you're first up... You're last to bed. And you go nowhere until they are fed. You go nowhere until they're looked after. You know, and their needs come before yours. That's yeah. how you gain that's how you gain the respect of, of them. That they see you as someone who's prepared to muck in, someone who's, you know, got humility. Mm. Someone who's uh yeah, gonna gonna have to sometimes lead lead from the front. You've mm. got to show uh, lead by example. Mm. Um and you I wish all of that. them
2: would have went by that mindset, Ken. <laughs> I, I wish all of them would have went the same mindset because there is some that are um a bit jack to be honest, but um they get found out. They get found
1: out. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, you you know, you can't you can't stand in front of one. This is a good leadership principle for people in business. You can't stand in front of people and say you've got this wrong mm. unless you squeaky clean yourself mm. you've got to try and you know um particularly because when we're, we're in the army we're, we we always were meant to look smart and there's a great emphasis on cleanliness and you know making sure you've done your you've done your washing and making sure you're clean shaven and making sure all those all those things and that's called discipline mm. and field discipline comes with that being in the field yeah. and being able to do that living in a ditch yeah and um and uh, you can't go and tell somebody off for being scruffy if you scruffy yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've, got, you've, got <laughs> you've got to model the way. But it's, it's not hard. It's not easy, particularly when you're in operational settings. And when you go somewhere like Northern Ireland for the first time, you're going to be scared. You're going to be scared. You're going to be apprehensive <laughs> because the, the, there are people there who don't want you to be there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, my follow-up question to that is: so, Northern Ireland was your first experience of combat. Then, obviously, Germany, to an extent, it, it's not the same. It's a kind of more of a it's a Cold War compared to then going to Northern Ireland. Um, so, you're 19 at the time, in charge of 30 guys, and you've also been thrown into your first experience of combat as well, which I imagine is the ultimate str- the, 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 uh, the the ultimate test in some in some instances. How did you how did you lead and kind of um how, what was your first experience of combat like in Northern Ireland? Yeah, with respect, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't call it combat. It, yeah. it,
1: it's not it's not a, what we call an attritional war yeah. like a conventional war. You know, like the Second World War was this really Northern Ireland was what you would call a kind of internal security situation Mm. where two parts of the community were trying to kill each other because they didn't Mm. like each other, the Catholics and the Protestants per per se. And and the Catholics had the IRA and the Protestants had their paramilitary groups as well. well. And really the job of the British army there was to try and keep those two factions apart and to be, but not not to be biased in any, Mm. any direction direction. Um, I mean the british had a pretty checkered history in ireland you, if you read your history history books so it wasn't a lot of love lost between mm. the catholic population and and and, and the british your know, british army as it was mm. was known then but of course you know the troops were absolutely brilliant in mm. in northern ireland across the board it didn't matter what cap badge they were wearing who whether they were infantry engineers royal army Ordnance corps and there's a lot everybody was in northern ireland mm. and um most people will turn around to you and say, actually, I really enjoyed it because I met some really, really nice people. Uh, the vast majority of the population were, were, wanted peace. Um, and it's only the crazy factions and, and those with, you know, hardened political beliefs who were keeping the whole thing going. Um, but for a young a young officer and, and and young men, it was quite harsh at times. You know, we, we, we'd see a lot of things that we didn't want to see, you know, murders, bombs, all that kind of stuff was going on. And sometimes the air was tinged with an enormous amount of sadness. But of course, you know, soldiers are naturally optimistic and their ability to talk to the population one-to-one over a fence, Catholic or Protestant, didn't matter which, you know, was a was, was big part of why the whole thing came out positively because yeah. of the, the humility that those soldiers uh, showed and, and, you know, the way that they used to try and win the hearts and minds of the people they genuinely wanted them to get on there was no sense of a soldier going out there with a gun thinking hey this is great i've got a gun in my arm i can go and start shooting no they were never ever like like that
0: um, yeah.
1: and we when we were there for for sometimes we were there for 6 months the, the longest i was there was 18 months
0: yeah
1: uh, on what we called a residential tour and we did everything we played rugby with the population we did, did you know we weren't locked behind a fence we did everything we possibly could to integrate with the population bo- from both sides of the political divide mm. yeah and luckily you know l- l- luckily m- most of us came out of it unscathed but uh, it was very difficult at times in some of the riots and <clears throat> some of the bigger bombs that went off and killed a lot of soldiers and a lot of civilians tragic times uh kind of a mixture of uh, of great times, the bad, you know, the birth of the, the best times and the worst times. In some yeah,
0: yeah. I'm just, I'm just trying to get it all in chronological order then. So, um, obviously, Scotty served in Northern Ireland himself. I'm, uh, Scotty, what years were you in, in Northern Ireland for?
2: I was there from the end of 95. Um, did a six-month tour, then came back in... When was Bosnia? Ninety-seven, Kosovo, and nine back over, and in, in two thousand, there another tour with the uh, bomb squad as a covert driver, and then I came and what Ken was saying there, a residential tour. I came back as a training instructor in Kinnegar for my last three years in the army, and then out in um, two thousand and four. So yeah. it was, um, you know, different times, but again, too, um, the, the hatred was still there. Didn't matter which decade it was. It yes. was um, it just went from one generation to another, which is very sad and unfortunate. And try and educate them properly. But it's, it's just one of those things. Hearts yeah. and minds, Ken was right. Every time we were out, and again, too, I was a uh, driver then, out and we were doing a hard stop and we were sitting up for a while. I was giving out some ration packs and chatting to kids and, you know, get just chatting. And as Ken was saying, then the following night, you're on the other side. It was, um, it was a real uh, eye-opener uh, yeah. for, for a young lad uh, when I was over there. And then Ken hit the nail on the head. It, um, he, he grew up very quick when you first get over there because you're expected to do a job and you're expected to do it when your boots hit the ground. There's not a lot of time for um, retraining over there. It's get out there, get your job done and get your men back. And yeah. that's uh, very much the case. But going on to you, what you were chatting about, Ken, quickly about the young officers and your oc saying you're the first up and last to bed it was i remember my first experience of a, a troopie coming into a logistical uh, squadron it was my staff sergeant handed him a set of coveralls he said there's a set of coveralls i don't want to see you back at that desk for the next six months <laughs> and the staff sergeant or color he made him go out and he had to service he had to wash the you had to see what the guys and girls did on a daily basis before six months he was back. Now he had a better idea of what the guys and girls did when they're out there. And I think it's absolutely right, to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah. So going back um, to you, Ken, so you were um, you just finished um, your first tour of Northern Ireland then. So I'm assuming you were about 20 years old then at the time, um, so, something like that. So... Moving forward then to, um, you were with the Queen's Regiment. What made you then want to take part in the exchange programme with the Royal Marines?
1: Um well, uh, um, I was kind of told that I was going. <laughs> 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 so,
0: there,
1: wasn't, there, wasn't a, there wasn't a huge discussion with my, my bo- boss at the time. So we'd, we'd moved back from we'd moved back from Germany to Canterbury, and, and we got back to Canterbury, and we were playing a lot of rugby and drinking a lot of beer and getting up to no good. But uh, um, and uh, I just remember it was the same day of Bus Three Ribs, bloody playing playing down Canterbury Rugby Club, and ugh. I was feeling rough and the boss said oh, I'm I'm sending you to the Royal Marines for uh, for a spell Ken. I went oh okay okay <laughs> so it's been another adventure and um yeah in 5 minutes flat I was gone and uh and uh, yeah it was it, it, so yes I, I mean uh, he said you do, 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 do you fancy that I said yeah sounds good you know give it give it worth a whiz but of course what I didn't realize I had to do the command of course <laughs> <You know? laughs> There's this thing called the all arms commando course where all the people who support the Royal Marines and they might be gunners, engineers um, uh, or ordnance corps. Um, they they all support the Royal, the Royal Marines and they're not all Navy. The Royal Marines are Navy, of course, mm. uh, uh, but everybody else who supports the Royal Marines, a lot of army, huge amount of army support the Royal Marines and, and other uh, grey funnel line, as we call it, the people who drive the ships. Anyway, um, so I ended up on the commando course, which was tough hard work it's a selection course like anything else and it's quite brutal from ty- time to time um what i could never uh, just while we're on the subject what i can never get my head round is why in training people yeah run them about make them do press ups but don't injure them and i'll never forget on that course that there was a couple of people who who were so beasted they used to say call it a beasting they were so beasted; it, it injured them, and then they couldn't do anything. And that was them written off. And I, I, I remember because I was a, I was a fairly confrontational. I used to speak my mind, and and I, and I, I said, why on earth would we train, try and train somebody, but hurt them at the same time? That never, that never registered with me. Yes, make them sit in a bucket of water, and I don't know, spray them down, come in with cow shit. I don't know. We'll do what you. want <laughs> But don't inj- injure them because then you've got a trainee who's never going to return to training. I thought that was just a, a, a damn, damn stupid. Um, anyway, that was one one memory of that. But, you know, at the end of it, you run across Dartmoor a lot and do a lot of running up and down cliffs. And you learn a lot of new skills. And that's it- interesting because, yes, Scotty will relate to this. Throughout your career, you're learning, 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 learning new skills, new skills, uh, you know, being a leader, being an infantryman, you know knowing every weapon under the sun uh dismantling it putting it together in the dark blindfolded working at night working in all conditions mountain arctic desert whatever, whatever it is and then someone says right go on the commando course learn more skills boats swimming in the sea dropping out of helicopters into 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 the sea rigid raiders landing craft um yeah tough and then and then lots of tests to make sure that you are so physically uh, you know so physically fit you can just run run forever and you run across dartmoor and then somebody gives you a green beret and you stick that on and think it's bulletproof which it isn't <laughs> <That's> <laughs> only yeah. a steel helmet, not even a steel helmet, it's bulletproof no. and then i joined um, joined 40 commando in plymouth
0: so how wow. how, how old were you then at the time
1: 24 24 right, right. 24
0: Absolutely think, yeah,
1: ridiculous. It was packed in quite a lot by then and yeah, it was and then you know we started training for Northern Ireland, of course. That's a lot of our lives were were spent training or going to Northern Ireland, you know. Um I did ten separate tours there. It shows how regularly how regularly you you you, you went. We were in and out there like 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 a yo-yo, so we got to know it pretty 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 well. Um but yeah we started to train and then that that, that that didn't that didn't turn out um and we then got told you know that the Falklands had uh, had cropped up
0: and then so you're 24 at the time um what made we're, you so trying to, work, so... <laughs> trying, to, work trying, to
1: work, trying to work it out then yeah I was 24 yes so yes
0: is, so what was it like then, going from Northern Ireland to the Falklands? That's, i, mean, I imagine—that's completely different.
1: Hey, the Falklands is a long story, um, Crikey! It was, uh, yeah, it was a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long story. But I think the things that, the things that stand up, right? You, you're going into a pro- proper war now. <laughs> you're yeah. going to pro- you're go-, you're go and have to. You're going to go and fight, basically. Yeah. Um, Northern Ireland was a bit standoffish for a while. You know, there was no, you know, you didn't have a running battle with, with anybody in the street. People would shoot at you and try and bomb you. And there was all sorts of other dangers. But this was confrontational. So the opposition had fighter aircraft, artillery, all that, all that stuff. Uh, and they and they had occupied uh, the Falklands. And then, yeah, we. I never got to say goodbye to my mother, which which upset me rather. I, I managed to ring her. But she's, she said a really interesting thing to me before I before I uh, got on the Canberra, we sailed down the Canberra, the old white whale, as it was called. And she said a really interesting, interesting thing. She said, she said, son, you know, look after yourself. I said, yeah, mum, I'll be, I'll be fine. And then and, and she said, um, she said, whatever you do, look after them. Isn't that an interesting comment? Look yeah. after them, meaning the, the boys. Yeah. You know, so, so, and, and it kind of, it's resonated with me that all my life, that my mother had the had the kind of insight to say this is not going to be about you going over the top, lead, leading the guys to get medals. This is about you looking after them yeah. the best you can. Interesting that, isn't it? And um, very powerful. So, huh? uh, yeah, wow. and uh, and it's you know, and it was a long way down there. Of course, a long way to sail through some heavy seas. Uh, wondering whether we were going to get t- torpedoed. And then we transferred onto a landing a landing platform deck. It's like another ship. Yeah. It's called a landing platform deck. It's called HMS Fearless or Intrepid at the time. And they've got landing craft in the back. Um, and if there was a threat of, of of anything, they used to lock us down below. And there's nothing worse than being locked down below under the waterline. That yeah. traits the mind. Because you know that if you get bounced, you're not going to get out. Yeah. So... <laughs> That that's a bit tricky i found that a bit tricky yeah they that's w- pretty that's, that's pretty terrifying that is very yeah. terrifying and then and then the war un, 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 unfolded and uh yeah i have to say we were really badly equipped we had terrible boots
0: mm.
1: we could have got better boots from from we could have got better boots from Woolworths, i reckon than the ones that <laughs> they were made out of cardboard so they just soaked up water and yeah. um yeah, we learned. You know, I learned some of my best best lessons in survival. Mm. They were down there because it was bitterly cold yeah, blizzards, and the rocks were glass.
2: Yeah, sorry about that. It's, uh, I was saying a good friend of mine was actually in the Falklands, Ken, um, and he was uh, a bootneck. neck. he was yeah, there, uh-huh. he was there with four, or five, and involved in that horrific incident there. And I I see Andy most of years at the Defence Academy. Uh, And he was saying exact same survival. It wasn't about, you know, it was getting out there in one piece. The weather was horrific. The cold, you only had one functioning helicopter, the Chinook, because the others were in the (laughs) other. (laughs) You had to to borrow a door off another one. And then it was, he said, it was absolutely a cluster. Um, Mm. But, Ken, you, you were there firsthand, tell us. Tell
1: us a bit more about about it. Well, yeah, and um, yeah, it's bitterly cold most of the time, and every trench we ever dig dug fell up with, filled up with water, so I had to keep bailing it out. You know, I used to use my steel helmet to bail the bail it out like a boat sinking. Oh. and and you know, I, I remember it used to take about forty between forty and fifty steel helmet loads to empty the the, the trench I was in. I was sitting on a hillside with my boss who was, who was SBS, uh, Special Boat Service, and uh, he was, he was an interesting guy, and he, he sat with me on a hill, and he, he said, you know, he said, I wonder if we've got air superiority, So because it's really quiet, you know, it doesn't seem to be anything <laughs> flying around, and as he said that, he tempted fate there, oh. as he said that, four Skyhawks came around the corner and dropped these bombs with parachutes right on the place, this whole whaling station, where there was a medical centre, but also where the guys were all having their tea. They all gone down there to, because there was, a, there was a cookhouse there, a galley, um, and we saw the last. We didn't know it was at the time, but the bloke running out of of, of it, and that was the last one of our guys who'd been down there. We were very lucky; we didn't take a lot of casualties there. But then more ammunition uh, at the same time, and the morale hit rock bottom. It was it was it was really tricky, and we. We flew forward a few times, and um, uh, yeah, and we we got involved with uh, with 2s attack on Mount Harriet. Uh, then we got involved in, in the attack on Sa- Sapper Hill at the end, um, and there were various incidents on the way. We got trapped in a minefield. That wasn't too good. A couple of blokes lost a leg in there um I lost a foot, should I say? Sorry. Um, that 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 was in a. We were in a tricky situation because a gun a gun had ranged in on us. So we had a one five five millimeter gun shooting at us with, you know, uh, that makes a big hole in the ground. Should it land near you? now, but it was pretty tense. Pretty <laughs> tense at the time. Yeah, it's not very fair. A <laughs> bit offside. and yeah. uh, Well, but eventually we made, made. But I remember my fingernails split my feet froze, I had terrible cold wind- weather injury afterwards. Um, but I was, you know, war is war. And, you know, we, we, we were there when the Galahad got blown up and we helped the Welsh guards, you know, and all that terrible, terrible mayhem, 50, 50 men killed in one go, um, one go. That that was a hell of a, tra- a tragedy. And um, they stayed with us till the end, the Welsh guards. We, we teamed up with them um, and yeah. Mistakes happen in war. Horrible things happen in war. Uh, the inter- the one thing that I found quite amusing, because I always have to see the funny side of things. Maybe I shouldn't all the time. But <laughs> one, the, on the last night, it was a blizzard, and myself and a guy called Nick Holler wandering around the position, which we couldn't see anybody, but we just saying, anybody in there? Yeah, are you all right? Yeah, we're okay. Okay, fine. Keep undercover. And we were, it, we were covered in snow, you can imagine. And uh, it was very cold. We near near our company position. We suddenly found this little quarry, which may have been used to get grit to put on the road, you know, to stop vehicles slipping because it wasn't a proper road; it was a dirt track. And there was a workman's hut, which was about two foot wide, but we squeezed in it, and we were kind of like this, yes, you know, smoking, smoking a <laughs> fag between, thinking, "Wow, it's great to get out the wind." That was all it was: get out the wind, fantastic, and that feeling of no wind was just amazing. And then Nick said, oh, the, the floor's a bit dodgy. It's a bit rotten. I said, no, it's been moved. Oh. Anyway, so we, we pulled up the floorboards and we, then we found this package. And uh, and he, he said, what's that? I said, I don't know. I said, Do you know, it's a tent. He went, no, said, it isn't it's Christmas, God, God has sent us a present from heaven. And then he found he pulled up another thing and it was a big tin. I said, what's that, oil? He said, no, corned beef, eat corn beef. Beef, and we found corned beef and we found sweet corn and a tent. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? And so, yeah, just just extraordinary. Um, and um, yeah, so we put the tent up, had some corned beef, and then I think we probably slept the only proper sleep we'd had for about, I don't know, nearly a couple of months. Um, but I was the first, my boss turned around to me in the United States and said, I want you to go back onto the ship because we're going to get back onto the ship. I said, really? I thought, crikey, that was, that was quick. <laughs> Argentina surrendered and we're going to go home straight away, no, 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 no party. But anyway, so I I went back onto the ship and it was a night, it was dusk, a helicopter flew me into Stanley. I saw all this detritus of war and Argentinian prisoners of war, all this kind of stuff. And then this little boat, this little Captain Pugwash boat, a yeah. tiny little thing came chug chug, chug 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 and and picked me up and then we chug 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 out to the ship but i couldn't see the ship i've just see mist through the mist and there it was and it was lit up like a christmas tree and i said no turn those lights off <laughs> what are you doing and uh, anyway so um in the middle deck of the ship was the mezzanine layer and um It was like a a place you could walk around the whole ship. But they ripped up the planking and it was just hard metal.
0: Yeah.
1: And I got on board and I went, hello? Anybody there? It was like a ghost ship. Couldn't find anybody. And then right down the other end of the deck, I saw this person in uniform. And then I I saw it was was a, a girl in uniform. And on the way down, this one particular girl, I'd given her some survival kit. I managed to find her an immersion suit and some rations and a compass and some neoprene gloves. And I should have kept them for myself. My <laughs> but at the time, I say, look, you have these. If this shit gets sunk, you'll have a much better chance of surviving in the water because it will be deadly cold. You know, you'll have a better chance of getting picked up. Minutes. It'd be, it would be minutes in that water, the difference between life and death. And, uh, and then I saw it was her, and the name was Fiona. And she walked towards me. And she said, hello. I said, hello. It's me. She went, who are you? And she didn't recognise me. She couldn't recognise me.
0: Oh, wow. Because
1: I, I was just so emaciated. I'd lost two and a half stone, something like that. I was Bloody obviously hell. very thin in the face. I was bearded. hadn't shaved for a few few days. Covered in cuts yeah. and bruises and whatever. But she, she, could, she couldn't recognise me. Um, and then I said, it's me, Ken. And then she burst into tears. Because she just couldn't believe what this apparition stood stood it stood in front in front of her um anyway i kind of sat down then on the floor and lit a fag as you do that's kind of <laughs> a fag.
2: sop uh, uh, S- S- number one
1: so- and she <laughs> said you can't you can't stay here you can, you can get warm you to come inside but i couldn't move i just that then the whole weight of the whole thing just overwhelmed me and um they looked after me those girls and eventually um Everybody came back on board and we, we sailed back and the, and the rest is history. But it, it, there were some times there where I didn't think we were going to make it. Mm. I just didn't think we were going to make it. It just yeah. all looked too bleak. Overwhelmed, overwhelmed by cold, overwhelmed by the conditions. And mm. it, it's like so many operations that all of us, and Scotty will, will, will back me up on this. It's not always the enemy that gets you, it's the conditions like all those people in Burma, like my dad was there, that they, they all die from dysentery and malaria and stuff like that. And then you understand that you're not just fighting someone else. You're
0: fighting the elements. Yeah. all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, Kent, after going through all that, you know, what then made you go, you know what? I mean, I now want to join the special forces. I'm going to put myself forward for selection. What w- was it? So you'd, you know, yeah. you've been for all that. What was the? Was it the push to to, to see? You know, I I imagine people joined do it for d- different reasons. What was your reasoning behind it? Well, I went. We did two.
1: I went. You know, we got we got back and it, typical typical at the time. You know, PTSD wasn't invented then. It mm. Didn't exist. Nobody knew when somebody was having pro- mental health problems. They were just probably told to well uh, go and go and walk around the car park, uh, it, it, a, a smoke a fag, and come back drink some beer you'll be fine um but there's a lot of people at one time there were more people who committed suicide who went to the falklands than then got killed
0: yeah
1: and it had a real serious impact on some people i can understand why i won't go into it in great depth other than to say that it was really only the beginning of people starting to understand what modern combat stress was because there was the old combat stress that we called shell shock but that was a bit different been constantly shelled although i knew what it was like to be shelled mm. i knew what it was like to be strafed by an aircraft i'd experienced that um but there's, but there's an awful, there's an enormous amount of fear attached to these things mm. and fear is irrational fear is irrational no one can, can people say you've got to control your fear yeah okay
0: mm.
1: <laughs> it's different it's different for everybody you know but yeah you have a responsibility to your mates to try and keep it under check Mm. Uh, but you it's still, still going to have an impact on you. Uh, so, yeah, so when I came back from the Falklands, I, I wasn't very well. I didn't know why. Mm. You know, didn't sleep very well at night, um, collapsed one day when running, and I mean, that's bonkers. Uh, apparently, it's because I was hyperventilating all the time. I didn't realise. And, and I had difficulty kind of <gasps> getting my breath. And um, But, you know, we, <laughs> like, we all soldier on, soldier on, soldier on. <laughs> You know, until something goes pop or breaks. Yeah. Um, and then, after a couple of a couple of tours, uh, I've been out to Gibraltar for a while. I've been to Northern Ireland another couple of times, um, and then I decided in nineteen, yeah, you know, whenever it was, I decided to have a have a go at it. And it, it was the ultimate for all of us because Special Forces, the SAS or SBS, hmm. they represented the best of the best, the elite of the elite, you know. And um yeah, well why wouldn't you? You know, you you you, you, you if you're a curious person, most of us are curious, we're all explorers yeah. by, by 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 the very genes in our body. We want to have a look round the corner and see what's going on. Hey, what are they doing? And and you see these guys in Northern Ireland, you know, kind of skulking about. <laughs> Who's that? Who's that? And uh then suddenly realise that there are there are this there are these elite elite uh, op- operators you know before the Iranian embassy siege no one really knew much about they live in the shadows hmm. and they prefer to live in the shadows because that's the safest place to be in a way hmm. you don't want too much publicity you don't want people running around poking you in the chest yeah uh, <laughs> asking you questions um yeah so anyway I, I decided to go and
0: try SAS selection well. Um, um, um yeah like it's, it's, it's like you said it's this it's the elite of the elite i'm gonna ask you and i know what the answer's gonna be how did you find it <laughs> <laughs> was it easy or was it hard
1: <laughs> um elements of it because I, I was already mountain orientated i didn't find i didn't find the the physical bit in the mountains too bad but it wore you down. You get worn down, worn down. They start to really play with your mind and see. But no one shouts at you. No one's shouting at you. You're just told to be at a certain place at a certain time. And you get there with the right kit. <laughs> yeah. And the right weight.
2: Yeah. Is that the actual first four weeks of
1: selection, Ken? Is that what they really yeah. call selection? The hills phase? Yeah. Yeah. The first, the first four weeks, very physical. A lot of navigation. You've got to be able to navigate well. You've got to know a map and a compass. You've got to have the confidence in horrible conditions. Hmm. There's a place called the Elam Valley in mid Wales. Go there for a look. It's horrible. It's <laughs> no, there's there's no it's bogs, little crags, little crags, little mountains, little little rocky bits, uh, featureless, just desert and and and, 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 and but cold. And, and I remember falling flat on my face one day oh. there. Absolutely, just fell flat, pushing the mud, and I was lost. I was lost and 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 and, and thinking I'm never going to find my way back back from here. And I did I did have a blub then a bit a bit of a cry you know thinking this is all too much I can't do it. Um, I've put up with some you know some trouble so far. And Here I'm in even more trouble. And then again we're back in the same old thing. If you get through the first four weeks and the endurance at the end of the first there's lots of marches but the yeah. endurance one at the end um, yeah. long drag it's called. Uh, and it's not a cigarette, it's a, <laughs> it's a um, long drag. Is uh, it's really long drag is two marathons back to back, yeah, carrying 60 pounds on your back.
0: Bloody
1: hell. That's the equivalent of a seven stone child, six stone child, isn't it? five stone child, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't remember. but um, yeah, it's a lot heavy, of, it's, it's very
0: heavy, is what, is what it is, <laughs> and
1: uh. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it in winter. I don't know how people did it in summer when it was hot. I'm glad I did it in winter because you know you can put more kit on when it's cold, but it, you can't take your skin off when it's hot.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so that was okay. But once you got through that, that was only month one, you know, and then you've got another six to go. But it's hard. It's very, very hard mentally and, and, and physically. And people, a lot of people. I remember on the square when I started, there were 160 people there.
2: Yeah.
1: By the end of week four, there are only 70 left. So we got rid of <laughs> half of them. And wow. uh, they kept disappearing every day. I, I said, where's he gone? I haven't seen him. He must have gone. You know, there's all those conversations. Um, but then it really starts after that, because then you're starting to have to acquire skills. And it's there's some fundamentals in life when you're a soldier. You've got to be able to shoot straight. Yes. You've got to be able to shoot straight. People forget about that. You know because you're not much use if there's a big target in front of you you miss it every time and you know <laughs> so marksmanship is a principle um of, of of operations as a soldier but yeah when you the hardest bit i found was in the jungle we went to borneo for six weeks um i think we went there with about 50 people we came back with about 30 people
0: yeah
1: then some of that 30 when then we were down to about 25 people <sighs> you know uh, massive attrition rate because it's just really tricky
0: i imagine um, the jungle being because it's just the humidity i think also as well down i think everything wants to kill you as well i think you know if you fall over i'm pretty sure in that sort of humidity if you get a cut it's going to get infected surely is that uh...
1: you've got pretty manky that's that's true but the biggest killers in the jungle are not snakes and spiders and stuff like that the biggest killers are deadfall you know when a tree gets full up with water oh top you imagine the top branches sticking out the jungle they get all waterlogged and then they break off and then when they, they're <laughs> weighing five tons, <laughs> they come whistling down, <laughs>
0: like
1: chucking, a, chucking the roof off a building and just throwing it down into the, into the forest. And that's scary. A lot, a lot of people get killed that way. Yeah. Um, flash flood, another big killer. People crossing rivers and all of a sudden there's a bow wave of water coming round, round the corner. Some guys got taken out, SAS guys got taken out in Hawaii that way of all places because it is rainforest in places, Hawaii. Yeah. And uh, then what was the other thing? Yeah, hornets. Hornets, <laughs> hornets come in three si- three sizes. There's big, really big, and then there's unfeasibly massive. That's <laughs> out. Know, that's out of, uh, that's out, of a, out of a comic strip. <laughs> kind of hovering. <laughs> helicopter comes flying around. But if they sting you, it big yeah. shock. I think. Shock. Shock. Kill. I remember Gurkha died from shock. Yeah. Um, yeah the yeah, essay selection is just and you're learning skills more and more and more skills being thrown at you you know can you can you now shoot your weapon while blindfolded hanging upside st- upside down or whatever <laughs> <laughs> but, you know can you you know can you dive can you climb can you drive drive a vehicle really well uh, can you can you navigate around complicated towns basic skills really but some of them are hard to do really really well um and yeah and and there's each you know i was in a mountain troop which i love being in a mountain troop because i was quite cozy there um some people hated being in mountain troops hated (laughs) scared of (laughs) heights you know but the skill range is phenomenal you know, and then then you have to go into the sometimes, you know, you do the anti terrorist stuff and that's another big another big uh, uh you know um skill set to learn.
2: Wow. And see after all the sort of continuation training and stuff that you do, um, Ken, yeah. what's the actual like? I take it there's not a big prom ceremony. Do you just march into the boss's office, staple belt, berry well done. Or is it you just there there it is, um Slap on the back, back to work Monday. Yeah, no, there's
1: no, there's no, um, there's no, there's no, there's no kind of pomp and ceremony. Um, what happens one day is, is, is you get told to report to your boss. Um, so you, you, you just, um, yeah, one day someone says go to uh, the clock tower, there's clock tower in the camp. And on it, on it are all the names of all the men and women who have given them their service in, in special forces or in SAS since the Second World War. Um, and on it, it's got the ins- inscription for those who did not beat the clock. And you know, wherever you are in life, we're always against the clock. And um, and then um, uh, yeah, and when I met my new boss there at that particular at that particular place, um, he I know he said. Um, well done was begrudgingly <laughs> he said well done he said uh, uh and he gave me the berry and the belt so i had to tear out of his hand and then <laughs> tug out of his hand and uh he then said remember it's harder to keep that hat than it is to <laughs> wow <laughs> you no, know, and it is hard i know wow. yeah that's sobering isn't it so you then back in you then back into that old cry. right I'm, I'm i'm really at the first rung on this snakes and ladders board uh and it's not everybody's back if i was really honest i think uh, uh, it wasn't i i don't think i was really totally cut out for it and I, i'm very honest about that because you know i i it's easy to run around with a big badge on your chest and you know big time it and say hey here here look but you you've got to be you've got to be suit you've got to be suited to it and I think sometimes people aren't suited to it. And it's not because they're a bad soldier. It's because they just don't have the right temperament. And I'm not entirely sure I had the right temperament for, for, for it, to be honest. Um, did I enjoy my time there? Some of it. I love the guys I work with. It was very stressful from time to time. You never stopped. You never knew where you were going from one minute to the next. Um, would you change it? Probably not. hell of an experience. But it's not everybody's bag. It really wow. isn't and there's some fantastic operators in the in British forces I mean you know it's like the guys I used to really admire who I work with with the with the ammunition technical officers the guys who just did bomb disposal in Northern Ireland they had balls of steel you know and you look at that you read their stuff that they did in Afghanistan and Iraq you yeah. read that stuff um, and yeah extraordinary the bravest some of the bravest men and women i've 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 ever met in my life you know on that on that kind of bomb disposal story without a shadow of a doubt there's a whole memorial in northern ireland to them you know they they were getting knocked over in northern ireland something like eight a year i mean talk about attrition you wouldn't want to sign up for that job would you never mind joining special forces is not the be all and end all it's not and that's not me degrading to do some amazing things special forces but there's a big army out there for every sas man on the ground there's probably 30 or 40 people backing him him up in some respect you know they don't get the recognition uh but there has to be a whole system behind that to make it to make it work
0: oh, um Ken how long were you in the uh, special f- forces for then um uh, how, how long yeah how long were you in it for
1: well it's weird when you're when you're in officer it's weird because you go there initially as a as a troop commander um if you do really well, you get invited back mm. to do something else yeah because yeah. um you can't you can't stay there all the time because there isn't enough space other people need to be given access mm. um and also i think i think it's not good it's not good mm. um and so you know i went back to my battalion for a while um as a company commander okay as a major yeah uh, oh wow then i went back for a bit longer and i went back to to do a different job I can't talk too much about them because yeah, it's, it's... that's right. But you know, so I toed and froed for a bit, mm. um, which was great variety in a way because I, I went to, I went to have uh, do something different and then came back in, um, and then right up to uh, right up to, to 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 the to the end, and that's where I decided that I'd had enough. You yeah, know, uh, it, it was kind of. I wasn't worn out, but I think I I probably I probably worn myself out.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, I needed to I needed to support regroup. So then you then went and left, but you've gone on to do some pretty incredible things after you. Um, how long was it from leaving to then you decided to kind of get involved with um, uh, Princess Diana and sending off um, the is it twelve people with them? disabilities to um i'm not even sure where it was i think you 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 can expand on it far better than i can you know back in back in
1: 85 uh sorry no back in 95 back in 95 we decided to do an expedition um and it you know it wasn't um it wasn't long it wasn't long before before princess diana died as you remember um there was a history of Princess Diana being the colonel uh, of the regiment of the Royal Hampshires, and we amalgamated with the Royal Hampshires in the early 90s to form the Princess of Wales's Royal Regiment. Uh, I was there also, <laughs> yeah, as a company commander. And that was that was an interesting time. She was a wonderful person. Um, and during that time, we decided that we'd run an expedition, uh, and we took some of these disadvantaged kids away to Africa and walked them for 500 miles. ha. <laughs> It <laughs> gave, 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 gave a bit of SAS Are you tough enough? Over the over the hills and valleys. And they loved it. They loved it. And they all came back very different people from that trip. We were away quite some time. And that's how that whole thing started. That was filmed. That that, that was filmed. Um and it but it wasn't until I, I left that I got into TV a bit with expeditions and stuff. Um but I'm in the middle of writing my book at the moment which I'll finish maybe in about 10 years' time. But, you know, <laughs> it's all about exploration, but exploration in a broader sense of, you know, um, we're all inquisitive, um, what's over the horizon? Because uh, I think um, expeditions and and doing... Expeditions don't necessarily have to be overseas. It can be up, up to Scotland, of course. Uh, any Anywhere an expedition can be. Um, it doesn't have to be five months. It could be a day, a little mini-expedition uh but it's this whole thing about positively inf- influencing young people to get out in the outdoors to understand it um and we to give them the right support and challenge so that they can build a future and also that there are incredibly brave people other than soldiers other than special forces There are incredibly brave people out there doing incredibly brave things and amazing things um and you know we've got to get behind them
0: Oh, absolutely. absolutely brilliant absolutely, absolutely fantastic i know scotty has his questions going to lined up so i'm going to go and give scotty the floor now Ken, i'm just going to dive in we've just heard a
2: little bit about your amazing life journey so far but again to give the listeners uh, a real insight into uh the man the myth of legend ken hames um we're going to ask some just questions just one word answers ken that will be really really okay. really really no. good Um, So, Alex, if you give me a shout in a minute, please, on the clock. Two, one, and away we go. Wet or bruise? Wet. Oh, really? What's your biggest fear?
1: Moving water.
2: (laughs) What would you change about yourself if you could? Um
1: up uh, just to be less sensitive
2: Good. what really makes you angry
1: dishonesty
2: what motivates
1: you to work hard just to see the planet get be- see the planet get better let's get the planet into recovery it's it's been in turmoil for too long good shout.
2: if you're on a, on a night out and remember we used to have these a wee while ago <laughs> yeah. what what would you sing in a karaoke pub? Oh
1: uh, <laughs> I think it'll have to be uh uh Robert Palmer. Um yeah, uh, addicted to love. Um <laughs>
2: what what um is your favorite book to read?
1: I'm a bit strange in that I love reading um uh, mountaineering books uh, so my favorite book is is a book called alpine glow which is a description of all of the 40 odd 50 odd mountains in the alps over four thousand meters <laughs> well,
2: well, well there you are there's yeah. one minute with ken whenever <laughs> you know what he likes to sing amazing he likes to sing. Oh, brilliant. That's, that's
0: absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant <laughs> we just got um a few more questions ken Just you know, just um, some quick ones as well. Um, I just wanted to know um, what your favourite moment in the military was. I think
1: sometimes driving that tank, (laughs) fifty-two tons of power, (laughs) nobody got in my way. (laughs) Nobody nobody got in the way. Yeah, through all that. that
2: Was it was was that as a tanky or as an officer? Tanky. Well, that's all right, because I would never put an officer in charge of a tank. One, he, does, he, doesn't, one, he doesn't know where he's going. Sorry, Ken. Or uh, two, he doesn't know how to operate it. Love.
0: Oh, fantastic. And um, what would you tell your younger self when first joining the army? If you go back in time.
1: I tell my younger self to not to
0: worry. Not to worry so much. Oh, brilliant. That's a really nice answer that. Mm. And then
2: it's quite a quite a very uh, powerful statement that not to worry because I think we all we worry about a lot of things that haven't even happened, I would say. Um, yeah. We think about things in a different neg- negative light. And I must admit, I, there was a period of time where I we'll probably still do a, a worry about quite a bit, but instead of trying to embrace it and work through it, you know, we do kind of have that worry. That's quite a good point there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. And then um, our final question, as a military family charity, we just like to know, what does family mean to you? (sighs) Well,
1: unless you're a kind of dedicated hermit, (laughs) some people like to be on their own. Um, I've never (laughs) been that way. I've always been a people person. Um, my family it means everything family means everything when you get as old as me you realize that it is the most important thing well your health of course you want to be healthy um, but your family is so important when times are really hard which they've been recently Mm. um, you're you know you're looking for your family you're looking for that support from from them you're looking to give them a, a, a hug you're looking to um, all that. And and only when you cannot see them do you realise how much you miss them. Yeah. And I think when times are really dark, I mean dark dark, it's the thing that keeps you going is your family.
0: Oh, brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And very, very true.
2: Very, very strong. Very, very strong. And just... when's this book come on out, Ken? And what's it called?
1: It's called over the horizon an explorer's handbook it'll be out by the end of this year but it's, oh, it's, it's a bit it's a bit anecdotal because i thought yeah you seem to want to write a survival manual so i wrote some of the stories about like you know having been in the water in the south atlantic what it's like to be in those harsh conditions and what you can do to alleviate your your suffering in some of these harsh environments so so experiences and on the mountain you know what 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 you really need to think about apart from being a climber and having ropes and all that paraphernalia yeah that's technical stuff but the basics of going into that environment you know what would you think about before you before you go and the things i learned which i wish i'd known before so there's all those learn the hard way yeah exactly and, and you get those tips, don't you? Like tape up your feet before you walk. Put Vaseline in your crutch before you march. Make sure that the water, Scott, you said before, make sure the water you're drinking is not going to give you a bad tummy, because you don't want a bad tummy out there. You don't want, you know, you don't want to have diarrhea. Well, when you when you when you're already working hard, and suddenly you have to go to the loo three times a day, and all the group has to stop while you run into the bushes. <laughs> so there's lots of there's lots of stuff in it uh, uh like like that you know which uh um and a little bit on you know camels yaks
0: yeah
1: mules anything that can catch dogs transportation, transportation <laughs> anything that can pull you or carry you much better than walking isn't it absolutely <laughs> i can't wait for that. Is that- Yeah. And uh, yeah, it'll, 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 but I would just hope people enjoy reading some of the anecdotes in it, which are quite funny, some of them. You know, um, when well, you, you, know, you, 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 you go, you go in the woods for a poo and then you suddenly realize when you get back to your tank that you, the hood of your tank suit, <laughs> you got like that. You've got like that. <laughs> oh
2: my, oh, 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 my goodness, my
0: head's nice and warm. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good I'm, assi- I'm assuming this may have happened to you <laughs> this is and old then,
1: you know but as you say going back to that skill that skill set there's just so many there's just so many things to 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 learn and I said look you know you can have all that lovely bushcrafty type of stuff lovely axe machete gonna learn how to sharpen it all because most people can buy it but they can't sharpen it so it doesn't work anyway
0: (laughs) this has been this has been fantastic i mean i mean ken you've told some absolutely great fascinating stories given some great insight as well into what it was like and also (laughs) some great leadership tips as well i mean in you know but what it takes to lead and um and how to do it i think this has been absolutely fantastic so i mean thank you so much for taking part well i think that's all we've got time for today uh thank you everyone to listening for episode 10 of the give us time podcast make sure to like and subscribe to our channel follow us on all social media make sure to go and follow ken as well Uh, ken thank you so much for today um and thank you everyone for listening